Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Marvia Scott, LICSW, has graced us with her beautiful presence. Marvia is a licensed independent clinical social worker in the states of Alabama, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. She has been practicing social work for the last seven years. Marvia graduated from Auburn University with a bachelor's degree in social work in 2015 and a master's degree in social work from Troy University in 2016. Marvia is currently serving as a suicide prevention coordinator for the Department of Veterans Affairs in Alabama. She also works as a mental health therapist. Most importantly, Marvia is a mother to five-year-old boss baby Peyton. In her free time, Marvia likes to travel, spend time with family, and rest. Welcome, Marvia. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, we're so glad to have you. One of the things that I absolutely love is that you are clinically licensed in multiple states. When I'm advising other social workers who want to be licensed in multiple states, I always speak to intentionality. Like, why do you want to be licensed in that state at this time? So my first question is, why Hawaii? Why Massachusetts? Um, so if I can be honest, I was working with, when I got my clinical license, I was working with, um, a company called Able To. And, um, I was excited because I'm like, I I got my LC, I'm about to start doing therapy. And they were like, we have no Alabama clients to give you. (laughs) So you have to become licensed in at least one other state. Um, so they gave me a list of states and was like, pick one or two. Um, and so that's what I did. They told me like which states were, um, high demand at the time, I guess, and mass and Hawaii both were very high demand. Um, yeah. So mass, no Hawaii, if I would have thought about it though, probably wouldn't have done Hawaii just because of the time difference. I don't see a lot of Hawaii clients. Um, I do have some, um, but yeah, that's, that's why I chose both of those. Oh my goodness. I have so many questions. I did not realize you were working for able to, I love the concept of able to, do you mind giving our audience a little bit of information about able to? Yeah, so able to, um, I started out as a behavior coach and their program um, is a short-term program, eight weeks. They have a therapist, a behavior coach and a program advisor, which is basically another clinical social worker that's overseeing um, each program, I guess. Um, And it is very, very, very high demand, if I can be honest, very high demand. and it's because it's a short, it's a short-term program, right? Um, so as a behavior coach, I was seeing about maybe 15 clients a week. Um, and it's a lot of paperwork that goes into it. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot. I, if I can be honest, I did it because it was extra income, right? That's why I started. But I was actually a behavior coach for about three years. Um, and I don't work with them anymore. 
But um, yeah, that's where I started. And that's where my journey with therapy began as a behavior coach with April 2. Absolutely. Now, what I I've never worked for April 2, and this is not a <laughs> endorsement for them. But what I think why I got excited about the fact that you were for April 2 was because I thought they were created by social workers. Is that am I right about that? Or do you? I'm not sure I can. I But I can just thinking about like the structure of the program. It sounds like a social worker, like a team of social workers came up with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because most of and, and I'll say about the behavior coaches, not all behavior coaches are social workers. You have right. some RNs, you have some that are, I had, I think I had a um, colleague that was like MBA, um, which was different for me because especially in no shade to, to RNs, but it was different because I worked, of course, in the medical field, the medical side of social work, and it's different working with RNs on that side. So it was exciting for me to see RNs, you know, um, on the behavior coach side of able to now did you and I, we're, i'm digging a hole in this able to conversation <laughs> but did you work as a behavioral coach as an lmsw or an lc i worked as an lm mm-hmm. um for what two and a half maybe yeah about two and a half years before i got my lc mm-hmm. um and then i worked for a couple of months there um as an lc I just, I wanted to lean into that part of it because a lot of the folks that are listening are LMSWs and I wanted them to know that they can get practice yes. in doing a types, different types of therapy with organizations like able to as behavioral coaches, as an LMSW. And like you said, then you can move into the more clinical practice with your LC. So I, that's the part I really kind of wanted to lean into. Yeah. Was that you were able to do that work as an LMSW? Yes, I was. And I will say that that, like I said, that started um, my therapy journey, really, because mm-hmm. it is a lot. Most of it is therapy. So you have your LC, which technically, I guess, for licensure purposes, purposes that you are working under, maybe kind of. Um, but it's a lot of the same work. It was good practice for me, for sure. Love that. Getting back to multiple state licensure, did, you know, I'm licensed in six states and each state has been a different experience. Some boards are really easy to work with. Some are a little bit more difficult. I wanted wanted you to speak to being licensed in multiple states, Alabama, Mass, and then Hawaii. What was your experience with working with those boards to get licensed? Um, so obviously Alabama, I had to, because I'm here based here. So obviously had to take the exam. Um, but the, the, a lot of, you know, the applying that type of thing, um, mass Massachusetts, um, and I guess going backwards. So another reason that I chose Massachusetts and Hawaii is because they're similar. They're, um, policies and procedures are similar to Alabama. So I didn't have to do a lot of extra stuff, like extra courses. Um, I didn't have to test again, any of that stuff. Um, So Massachusetts, I remember being smooth sailing. Like I literally just turned in, I had to get some signatures. I turned it in. Um, Within a couple of weeks, I had my Massachusetts license. 
Hawaii was a lot different. And I don't know if it's just because of the time different. I don't know. It was it was a lot more difficult. And I didn't have to test again um, or, uh, or any of that, but it was a lot of them having to verify that I had the credentials that I was telling them that I had. Um, and so that one took a lot longer, like, I don't know, three or four months. Um, and I had like, I, again, I didn't have to test again. I didn't have to take extra courses, but it was a lot of paperwork with Hawaii. I do want to speak to that because there is some confusion. ASWB, when we, when you pass your clinical exam, it's a national exam. So mm -hmm. regardless of when you, where you decide to get your additional licenses, you don't have to necessarily take the ASWB clinical exam again, right? right? So you never have to do that. Now, some states like Florida, California, or even Colorado, I, you know, was it called? Yeah, Colorado, Texas, they have a state exam that you may have to take in order to um, be credentialed in their particular state. But as far as that national ASWB clinical exam, you take it one time, it's one and done. You're then done. You figure yeah. out, yeah, yeah. Then you figure out which states you want to get licensed in. I am interested, uh, Marvia. You've been licensed Hawaii. I know, you know, because I personally know you for a minute, and you know, Hawaii had a, a crisis. Was it just this year? or Was it last year? It was. Was it like the beginning of this year? I want to say. I think it was like the beginning of this year. I mean, we're already almost in 2024. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, you know, when you're work, when you're licensed in a state that has such a national crisis, you know, with the fires and all that, did you, did you have an upkeep? I mean, did your clientele uh, demand go up a lot in that particular state? Um, actually, we saw a decrease. Oh, and. I think it had a lot to do with, and this is me just thinking about it. There aren't any like um, studies or anything on this yet, but I think it had a lot to do with um, like a lack of resources after all of that happened. So a lot of people weren't working. Um, a lot of people, I, and I would assume what comes with that is you have the kids at home, kind of like we were in COVID. Um so we did, we saw a decrease in Hawaii after that. Now it's starting to kind of pick up a little bit more, but we did notice like in the couple of months or weeks after that, there was a, a decrease in the amount awesome. of time we're seeing. Yeah. I have so many questions. I do. And I'm going to get to your social work journey. I'm going to ask this one last question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, when there is a national disaster like that in Hawaii, or, you know, you, we, I remember one year we had one here in Alabama, Red Cross and some of the other uh, federal agencies, they seek out folks who have licenses in the outside of what you were working with, with ABLE2 or whatever other organizations. Did you think to, I know you're full-time at the VA, but did you think to um, look at, oh, maybe I could fly to Hawaii and be on the ground with those folks? Um, during this crisis, and I, I, I get there are so many other factors, but outside of the agency that encouraged you to get licensed um, in Hawaii, I'm wondering, did you notice there were other opportunities for you to to have during that particular crisis? 
Yeah, I did. And actually, the opportunities that I noticed were travel social work opportunities. Now, when I was in school, I don't know. I don't know how long this travel social work thing has been a thing, <laughs> but I love it for the people that could actually do it. So that is what I was seeing. I was seeing a lot of, but it, it still required like your LCSW. Um, but I saw a lot of travel positions and if I could have done that because I work full time and I have my daughter, it I just couldn't it I couldn't do it. But those were I saw those ramping up a lot during that time. Absolutely. I actually supervised several travel social workers. And so yeah, yeah it you know, I know that uh in 2015 we weren't talking about that in the university settings, but now I'm telling everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sure it was around because I know some folks who've been traveling since 2015, but we just didn't know about it. But now I'm telling everyone, it feels like there's a lot of value in our licenses and folks are saying, don't let being bound to one state keep you from plus you know with COVID just like what you said with COVID the reason I'm licensed in multiple states I'm assuming you're licensed the reason one of the reasons you're licensed in multiple states is because we're learning not to just be bound by the state that you're in but to explore what else is out there in different states and see what some of those opportunities are right yeah yeah awesome. that's been that's been working for me so far um I feel like I, I will honestly say able to was a lot, but if it wasn't for them, they were like the platform, right? They actually pay for me to get licensed in, in those areas. So I I honestly would have been slow poking around to do it, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for them. So I really appreciate that, you know. Yeah, I'm hoping that those who I've been wondering about being multi, multi-state licensed are listening to this podcast and knowing that, I, you know, I didn't work for a platform. It's just when COVID hit and then there was this opportunity here, this opportunity there, I just started researching what would it take to be licensed in certain states and it just kind of took off. And now it's just like, it's almost like getting a tattoo. Yeah. I can't stop. <laughs> I can't stop. But I hope that folks listening will know, look into getting licensed, be intentional like Marvia said, Hawaii is on a completely different time zone. You know, I'm on, I have some folks on mountain time, some on Eastern time. And so you got to pay attention to those kind of things. I do think time zone does make a huge difference in sure. your availability and your client's availability. But being intentional about what other states you can get licensed in, especially if they're similar to your board, I think is beneficial for social workers, both on the LMSW level and on the LCSW level. So so glad that you were able to speak to that. But we ju we jumped all the way to the end of your <laughs> end of where you are now. I want to know, tell me a little bit about your social work journey, Marvia. Where did it start? Where do you plan to go? Yeah. So um, like you said earlier, my social work journey, I guess, started at Auburn University, War Eagle. Um <laughs> Uh, so I graduated Auburn in 2015. I went directly to grad school at Troy. Um, and I was working a little part-time job during, during that time that actually paid for my school. <laughs> so that was a great experience for sure. Um, yeah. So after I graduated in 2016 from Troy, 
I got my LMSW maybe, I think I graduated in July and I had my license by October. Um, so I started studying immediately afterwards. I took Dr. D's course um, immediately after grad, uh, yeah, grad school. Um, and then I started working at Baptist South. Um, so an emergency department in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, that was the best experience ever because it was my first social work job, right? But I got so many different sides of social work within that one um, job, I guess. I saw kids, I saw, um, you know, adults, I saw elderly patients, I saw everything, you know, within the, the ED. So that was the best experience, I'll always say. Um, and then I did dialysis after that. So in between that is when I had Peyton. So I just wanted a change and some more money. <laughs> so I did dialysis, hated it. I would never, ever, ever, ever do that again. And, and it's just because I went from the ED, such fast pace to dialysis, which is a more slower pace. Um, you're seeing the same thing pretty much every day. Um, and I, from that experience, I learned that I just get bored quickly with stuff. Like I need some excitement. Um, so after dialysis, I did hospice. I went into hospice, um, loved hospice. It was so different. And I want to say now that I'm talking about it, I want to say maybe my, um, experience with therapy started there even though I technically wasn't a therapist yet. I, I just had my LM. Um, but there is a lot of therapy, as you can imagine, that goes into being a hospice social worker, right? Um, and so for sure, my therapy journey really started there. Um, so I did hospice for, I want to say maybe a year before I got offered the position at the VA, which took me four years to get. <laughs> Um, so I did hospice PRN while working full-time at the VA. Um, once I got into the VA, I was in primary care and I did that for three years and now I'm here as suicide prevention. Um, and I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I want to speak to a couple of things about your journey. One, for this MSW students who are graduating soon are going to be graduating, you know, in the next year or so, they <laughs> there's this preconceived notion that they can get their license literally a month after they graduate, hell, even a week mm -hmm. after they graduate. And I, you know, I love that you said it took you three months, which for you actually was a lot sooner than a lot of people. But on average, for those who are just like, I'm going to get my license as soon as I graduate, it really does take about three months. And let's talk about why. One, your school has to release your transcript. You have to complete the application for whatever state you're in. Then you have to wait on ASWB to send you, you know, the information. Then you have to wait for a testing site. You have to schedule the test. And mm -hmm. all of that can take up to three months. And so I want to just encourage people who are my <laughs> high achievers to kind of be give yourself some space and time, especially when you're looking for employment that's that requires licensed social worker, that it's gonna take you at least three months um, to go through all of the processes and then pass the test before, yeah. and that's at minimum. What 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 are you what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think, well, and for me, and I didn't think about it that way, but that's true. Like you have to, it's really for a while you're at the mercy of other people because like Troy had to release my transcripts and then I had to actually apply and, and find a test, all of that good stuff. But even after then, um, I felt like I wanted to give myself some time, like a good amount of time to study, um, which is when I did Dr. D's course which was really helpful. And I took that course back in 2016. And I will say even for my LC in which I took last year, that course helped <laughs> even all of those years afterwards. Um, but yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So I just want to give some reality checks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> in regards to like, oh, we're I'm gonna get licensed immediately after graduating. Just give yourself some time and know I love that you said you're at the mercy of other organizations to get their stuff done and get their stuff into um the boards that you are taking your test in. I want to speak to <laughs> The dialysis experience. One, I think it takes all of us to do the work that we're doing. So our hat, you know, is tipped to those who are able and love, because we know lots of lots of uh, dialysis social workers and who love that experience and those clients who need that particular service. And also, you can make some really good money in dialysis, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I teach and love that you said is you got to know what you love and what you don't love. Exactly. Right. Do you want to do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yes, because I feel like um, with me and for a while, I struggled with it because I knew I would say it took me maybe two or three months to know, like, this is not me. <laughs> this is not my thing. And it's just because it's repetitive. It's a lot of the same stuff. A, a lot of people can appreciate that, right? Because they know that they're going into work and they know what to expect. Um, for me, I, that just wasn't my thing. And what I noticed about myself was the quality of my work was starting to diminish because I just would I didn't like it it just wasn't something that that I like to do like my heart wasn't there and that's one thing about social work like you have to actually love what you're doing because it's a lot it's, it's it can get hard you know even with dialysis it's the same thing but a lot of times it's it's, it's hard it's a you know um so yeah, I, I I once I started noticing that like the quality of my actual work was not where I felt like it should be, I knew it was time to find something else. So I would say that would be one good thing to pay attention to, you know. Absolutely. We often talk about burnout with our social workers and it's so funny to me to witness a burnt out social worker in the agency that they're in. And then they go to an agency where they're doing work they really enjoy and the difference in the quality of the work that they are producing is mm -hmm. so different, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that you spoke to that. I'm not stating that you were burnt out at that time, but that too is where burnout looks like is if your mm -hmm. work is diminishing, um, then maybe we need to talk about burnout. But I do want to talk to you about this. So, you know, I think traditionally, social workers have been trained or even just folks in general, you have to stay at a job for a year or two years because, you know, on your resume, it has to, <laughs> it has to look good. And I have learned, no, ma'am, no, if you are having diminished returns on your work, then it's time to go. And so do you mind speaking to 
how, why were you so brave and courageous to go ahead and, and move on to the next thing when you realized something wasn't for you? Well, not only, you know, for myself, like I felt like it was taking a toll on my mental and emotional health. And side note, Peyton was only maybe like five, six months at the time. Um, and so obviously I'm going through that. And then I have this job that I just did not like. Um, so of course that was it on the personal level, but I was also thinking about my clients, right? Like I wasn't giving them my best work. And so at the end of the day, that's why we're there. Um, and I feel, I, I, once I started feeling like, you know what, I'm <laughs> not doing my best by this client, you know, it's, it's time to move on. That's really, when I realized that, because when you're thinking about it for yourself, you're always like, okay, I can push through, you know, it's just me, I can push through. But when you have your client to think about, um, for me, it was not wanting to just give them, you know, 20% here, 50% there. Like I, I really felt like I was failing them. Right. Um, yeah. So at that time I was like, <laughs> absolutely. I love it. And I, so I want to just give people in our audience permission to leave a job. Please leave a job. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Please leave. If you are not giving your clients 100%, then you're not doing what you signed up to do with social work. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, dialysis is for a lot of people. But, you know, one of the things I often in, in teaching would say, find the population you enjoy working with and know the population you don't work like working with. Mm -hmm. I've not really ever worked with kids. That's just not my population. Yeah. I love kids and kids love me, but it's just not the population that I thrive in. And so I prefer working with adults. And so I would not it, seek out jobs that had me working with kids and know that about yourself on this, mm -hmm. on this journey so that you can make sure that you're giving your best work. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So we heard a little bit about your journey and love it and some of the lessons learned. Where do you see yourself going, Miss LICSW in multiple states? That I feel like I'm still figuring that out. Um, again, when therapy, when I got my first therapy job, it was like a source of an extra source of income. Did not expect to like it. I did not expect to love it actually. Um, and so I, I don't I, I I don't know if I want to venture out into private practice or I don't I'm still trying to figure that part out. Um, VA, I won't say that I would would want to stay with VA forever. Um, but definitely within the government. And that's just because there's so many other things for social work to do within the government, CDC, um, all kinds of stuff, uh, the federal courts, a lot of stuff that you could do within the government, right? Um, so I, I definitely want to stay there full time for sure. I love that you mentioned that because I, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. What I'm often saying, I've never worked for the VA um, in my 24 years of social work, but VA, the VA is the number one employer of social workers, but really is the government, right? Because the second highest um, employer of social workers is uh, installations, military installations. But then when you just mentioned the CDC and some of these other, the CIA, the FBI, we're ever, 
We are everywhere. And I think we don't talk enough about the opportunities. People kind of get stuck in, you know, the traditional roles of social work and really explore. Don't just type in social work and Indeed and Munster, whatever the employment, type in your degree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and see what opportunities are available to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Marvia, knowing no, who was your first, who was your favorite and or most impactful social work mentor or professor? You. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, seriously. I feel like I tell you that all the time though. And let me tell you why. So we met in whenever I was in grad school, 2015. Yeah. So 2015, you were my grad school instructor. Um, And so that's where we met and our journey began. Um, I think so. And and I was trying to, I'm still trying to think of the word because obviously I, I feel like it's kind of like a mentorship thing, but it also feels like such, it, it feels deeper. And the word for whatever reason, I want to say it feels like, and when I'm I'm referring to, our relationship. It feels like home. And let me tell you why. (laughs) I feel like it's so important for social workers to have someone or something that they can go back to, no matter how far you are in your career, you always have a place that you can go back to when you are like, what now, (laughs) you know? And I I have not taken one job (laughs) or transition into all of my many jobs without calling you first. And it's just because I know you're my safe space, right? And I feel like that's so important. It may sound a little cheesy to you, but (laughs) I feel like as social workers, that is so important because it's, especially as a young social worker, right? I still kind of consider myself like a baby social worker. Um, And I feel like, a lot of times it gets to a point to where you're like, what in the world is this? <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? What One thing that I remember you telling me about is salary. And that's one thing that I feel like is important, like asking for negotiating for what you feel like you're worth, that type of thing. I would have never done that had we not had that conversation years ago, right? Um, In addition to that, my therapist, so I'm a therapist with a therapist. (laughs) Uh, That's just part of my self-care, right? Um, And she is another Black queen. I love her to death. She keeps me in check. And not only, she's a social worker as well, um, but not only with social work stuff, but with personal life too, obviously. But that it intertwines it all intertwines so you know personal life social work is all connected for me it is anyway um yeah so definitely you and my therapist (laughs) I love that I know you know (laughs) I love that though I want to speak I will go ahead and speak to um being an OG oh (laughs) yes in this in this profession and I don't it happened three years ago I was like oh my gosh when did I become an old lady (laughs) in this profession but I I'm now embracing that crone energy and one of the things that I would hear repeatedly is that um, especially uh, black social workers 
um, was that they felt like older social workers were not um, valuing their space of coming up, being up and coming social workers. And the fact that you're able to speak to the, that, we we have that relationship and, I, and I'm imagining some other folks have it as well. Um, there are folks in this profession who want you guys to do well, right? Because there, if there's been a path that's been paved, what sense does it make for us to destroy by destroying you? So yeah. we want you to do well. And also when you do well, that means we just get to go to the next level, right? And so I really want to encourage um, social workers out there that may be listening. If you had a bad experience with a mentor or a mentee, know that there are folks out there that really are rooting for you to do well because um, we want the profession to do well. So I'm glad you had you said that. And I also want to speak to a social worker. My tagline in my email is by Brene Brown. Every good social worker has a social worker. And in fact, you cannot even come into my supervision group <laughs> unless you have a therapist because supervision is not therapy, right? And so I love we got to do the work and sitting on the other side of the table is so important. Let me sit on this side because if we're encouraging our clients to come to therapy, to, you know, do the work and we're not doing it ourselves, I think that is what leads to imposter syndrome. Oh, that imposter syndrome. That's a, I was thinking that as you were saying, um, you know, there are people, OGs in the career that want to see us younger ones do well. But I also, Ms. Renita, want to speak to the opposite, <laughs> right? And I think that I, I, for me, um, and I don't want to go into it too much because I love my good government job and I want to keep it. <laughs> but I will say for me, I've had experiences, especially with going into the VA where that was not the case. Um, and I think it was because of my age and how far I am in my career, right? And you do have some some older social workers, um, you know, that just haven't quite made it there yet, you know. And so imposter syndrome, when I first got into the VA was, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I am not supposed to be here. You know, that was bad. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because that, and it, sometimes still I have to remind myself like, girl, you did the work, right? Um, So you, you're here because you did the work. I still have to remind myself that sometimes. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you spoke to that. And I do also want to just speak to the other part too, you know, speaking to some of the younger social workers who may be licensed way beyond whatever some of the older, so I, I've been fortunate to be licensed since I was a younger social worker. Um, and But what we know to be true, especially with ASWB putting out some of their pass rate numbers this year, it for brown and black women, it has been a struggle passing that test. And so to me, I'm just thinking, I, I, wanna, I want older social workers to have compassion on the younger social workers coming in, right? You paved the way, help them, support them to excel um, so that you can be uplifted, but also want our younger social workers to have compassion towards the older social workers who may not have been able to pass the test because it has been statistically proven that this is a very difficult test to pass for brown and black folks. So um, I, want, I wanted to speak to that balance as well. Let's yeah. both on both sides 
have compassion for each other so that we can advance the profession. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what you know now about social work, what are what is one or two things that you would take with if you could pack a social work suitcase? <laughs> what would you put in that suitcase? Um, I would say one of um the most valuable things that I have learned thus far, and I, I think it was just it came as a shock, right? But I did not realize how much social work would impact my personal life. And what I mean by that is my personal values. A lot of my personal morals and values changed after becoming a social worker. I was not expecting that. I was expecting, okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to get my money and I'm going to go home. Um, and that's not the case. It's not the case. I, I feel like I will go as far as saying like some of my friendships that I've had over a certain amount of time are no longer <laughs> just because my morals and values are so different. And it's, it's because of my work. It's the work that I do. Right. So that's one thing that I would take, um, with me and kind of like, I guess it, it was just, again, like a shock, right? I didn't expect that at all. Another thing is um, this whole social workers can't make any money thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when we, and I was trying to think about where that even like originated from. I don't know where that came from, but I remember like, I remember in undergrad, like walking into my advisor's office and saying, you know, well, what about social work, you know, um, and kind of just trying to, you know, brainstorm with her. Um, and I remember her being like, well, they don't really make no money. <laughs> and that stuck with me though. But once I was in the career, and, and I think even after graduating grad school, I think I still kind of had that in the back of my head, right? And so it was kind of like, no matter what, like you have to, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to, I guess, do the work just because it's social work. No matter how much money you make or don't make, it's social work. So you have to do it. Marvi is not doing that. <laughs> If I could just be honest and if someone like I feel like I should I wish I would have had that conversation with someone like as I was coming up um, in undergrad and grad school, um, because that would have changed a lot of things for me that would have changed the way one one thing how I negotiate my salary um, that would have changed that I think I went in like I will take whatever you give me. Because everybody else said you just got to do it because you're social work, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's different. That's way different now. And I, that's another thing that I was like, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> if I could be honest, I was not expecting that. But that's also like one of the most valuable, valuable things that I could have learned, like, or that I'm still learning, you know. Absolutely. Marvia, I'm so mad at myself that I didn't teach you that in 2015. I'm so certain we had to have had a conversation or two. Yeah, we probably did, but I, it didn't I don't sink I think, in. No, and it didn't I, because I think like it had all. It's, it was already in my head that like you know because you know so when when you're talking to some random person and you're telling them like I'm a social worker, what's the first thing they say? Oh, you take people kids. <laughs> 
like I've never worked with kids before but even though I have went through like the undergrad program I was in grad school or done with grad school I still had that in the back of my head and that played a big part in how I negotiated salary I didn't know anything like I knew about it but I was scared until we had that conversation actually going into dialysis um, when I spoke with you about that but yeah that's that I, I wish someone would have sat me down and said girl you can make money in social work like don't let nobody tell you <laughs> you can't make any money absolutely I I will say this maybe when we first started I wasn't doing I wasn't as vocal about it <laughs> but I'm definitely more vocal about talking to young social workers about please what I call is pimping the profession don't just take the job that they're giving you yeah. or take the salary that you're giving because what we're doing is a disservice to the ones coming behind us if you're working for um, way less than what that that degree and that those credentials are worth. So um, I'm glad that you have learned and internalized that lesson now. What, is, you know, what, what are one or two things that you're looking at your room and you're like, ah, yeah, my social work room, right? You're like, I'm not going to take that with me. You know, I'm not going to pack that with me on this social work journey. What would those things be? Um, I think one is that we can save the world because that's what I thought <laughs> going into it. And I do think like, I remember being in my, my first, the very first interview that I had. And I remember being like, well, you know, they're asking like, what kind of experience you got? And I'm like, girl, I just graduated. <laughs> but I remember being like, you know what? I, I don't have to worry about burnout because I'm, I'm fresh out of grad school. So like I'm in this, this phase of like saving the world. And I stayed there for a very long time. And so I was so disappointed when I couldn't save the world. <laughs> I really was. I was in like, it was just, it was a lot of different things. This is, and you have to take into account, I would say, um, whatever company you with, whatever agency you're with, their policies, right? Um, I would say for one, coming from like civilian world to VA world, totally different. Um, and so I, I feel like it, it's a lot of the policies too that would kind of get in the way of, of what you would naturally do as a social worker. Um, but that's definitely one thing. One thing I would say, um, another is, and I guess it, that kind of plays into it too, but self-care, like not taking care of yourself, not taking the time off when you need it, trying to push through, not quitting that job when you know you need to quit that job, <laughs> little things like that. Um, we leave it behind. We ain't, we ain't taking that with us. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Please, we're giving someone, someone need to hear this message today. Quit that job, girl. Quit that, quit that job. job. Please quit that job. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, we talked a lot about value. This is, you know, I'm going to, this be our last question, Marvia. It's been so great. I've had so, I have so many other questions I wanted to ask you about your four-year journey to the VA, but we'll have to have you back on the show again so to ask some more questions, but our last question is about value. You talked about, you know, the value of uh, salary negotiation, the value of um, taking good care of yourself, the value of 
being licensed in multiple states. What value do you think um, we bring as social workers to the world? I'll say it like that. I've, I've made it even bigger. To the world. Mm -hmm. I think a different perspective. Mm. I learned that like just from working within the medical field, because obviously when you're working with nurses, doctors, all that like they're trained to, to be in their medical world, right? But with social work, we have a whole, and that goes back to like how it changes your personal values and, and your morals. We have a whole different perspective on, on certain, a lot of things, right? So a lot of times I've had like even doctors, you know, they're like, we got to do this, this, this. And I'm like, no, we need to do this, right? Um, and one, and that's a whole nother thing, being brave enough to say that, <laughs> you know, to actually bring your different perspective to the table, being brave enough to do that is something that you have to learn over time, I feel like. Um, but yeah, a different perspective to your to your team, right? Whatever your team is, and that could be a personal team, even in my friendships, right? My personal life. I'm always the one with the different perspective, like the different, everybody is thinking this way and I'm over here to the left, but just follow me. It makes sense. We're going somewhere with this, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I would say, a different perspective. What a great answer. And knowing that our perspective is valuable, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I had Mark. to learn that, Ms. Ernita. I had to, well, not learn that. No, I, I feel like I always knew that's what social worker, like that's what we we're for, right? We're trained to to be critical thinkers. Um, I had to learn to trust that. I had to learn that my perspective was was valuable, right? I had to to know that, like especially working um, within the medical realm, like I had to know that your perspective needs to be heard because this client's life could depend on it, you know. Um, or this, whatever, whoever you're working with, that it, it can depend on it. So I had to learn to trust my perspective. Wow, that is a word right there. That is a word. <laughs> Leave that job and trust your perspective. A job and trust your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Marvie. Marvie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today. This has been such a oh, great conversation. I love the journey that you took us on in regards to social work. And I really hope that you'll consider coming back again really soon to finish the conversation. Yes, we have to do a part two. <laughs> we will do a part two. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.